Electrification is a win-win-win. It's a win for us, it's a win for our customers and, and for the environment. We know that our customers are interested in looking for ways to reduce costs and, and reduce their carbon footprint. So we're committed to leading them on their transportation electrification journey. And we also want to reduce costs and reduce our impact on, on carbon. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. Across the country, EEI member companies are partnering with communities and stakeholders to support the growth of electric vehicles, while also continuing to build EV charging infrastructure and electrifying their own fleets. Transportation electrification is beneficial for customers and communities, and it can help drive deep carbon reductions in the transportation sector. National Drive Electric Week is September 25th to October 3rd, and we are reflecting on the substantial investments that America's electric companies are making in customer programs and infrastructure to accelerate the electrification of the transportation sector. On this episode of Electric Perspectives, EEI's Director of Electric Transportation, Kellen Schefter, is joined by Kate Staples, Manager of Electrification at Dominion Energy, Dan Francis, Director of Customer Solutions and Policy at American Electric Power, and Matt Fork, Vice President of Community Economic Development and Energy Solutions at Ameren. They are here to talk about how electric vehicles are driving the clean energy transformation while providing benefits to customers. I'll turn it over to Kellen. Thank you, Brian. I'm Kellen Schefter, Director of Electric Transportation at EEI, and thank you all for joining me today to talk about electric vehicles. And since it is National Drive Electric Week, and that really is about centering EV drivers, uh, I thought I would start by asking each of you to share any personal experience you have with electric vehicles or EVs, as we'll be calling them uh, throughout the recording today. Um, I'll kick that off by saying I actually will be the first to admit I don't own a car. Um, I actually live close enough within D.C. to uh, to bike to my office most days when I need to. Uh, but a couple of things to note, I'm actually more struck by sort of the lack of electrification and seeing the opportunity for it as I bike around D.C., particularly when I'm stuck behind a transit bus that's still running on diesel, I think that could be electric. Or behind a refuse truck, I often think that could be electric and how much quieter and uh, less exhaust I would be breathing in if these were all electrified. So I, I really think of it that way as I navigate uh, through DC on my own. But curious to hear uh, what your all experience uh, is with electric vehicles just as a, a way to kick off this conversation. So let me start with Kate. Can you tell us a little about just yourself and your experience with, with EVs so far? Sure, thanks for having me. Um, I've had an electric car as my business vehicle for about five years, um, and I've had an electric car as my personal vehicle for about two years. And EVs are just so fun to drive that all of my colleagues and my family members are always asking to drive mine. So highly recommended. <laughs> Excellent, let's, uh, let's go to Dan next, how about you? Sure, thanks, Kellen. Uh, yeah, on a personal note, um, I actually own a, a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. So uh, Ford Fusion Energy, I've owned it for many years. Uh, I really enjoy it. It fits my personal needs uh, very nicely. Um, almost all my miles are on electric, especially since uh, COVID started. Uh, but even when I was commuting daily, uh, I charge both at home and work. And, uh, so about 85% of my miles were powered by electricity. 
Great. And then uh, finally with Matt, how about yourself? Thanks, Kellen. Good morning. Uh, and thanks for including me. I'm excited to talk about EVs today. In terms of my experience with EVs, it's been in part uh, leading a team focused on clean electrification, finding ways such as EV charging infrastructure to give customers confidence they can buy and drive an EV for the next car. Kellen, you talked about your experience biking in DC and getting behind a big bus. Part of the transformation in St. Louis is we welcomed uh, around 20 60 foot electric buses with our bus carrier by state uh, in St. Louis as a partnership uh, with Ameren. So that's really exciting. On a more personal note, uh, part of my title is energy solutions, which includes clean electrification. So when I rotated over for this team uh, three years ago, the very first question the team asked me was, do you drive an EV? Mm -hmm. And I had a seven-year-old Toyota at the time. And so, no, I didn't. Uh, but I promised them when I uh, traded it or converted, I would, uh, I would go electric. And so uh, about a month ago, I ordered uh, an electric car, which is scheduled to be delivered in November. So I can't wait and I can share my experiences uh, firsthand as I have them. Well, that's great. Um, I, I think that's exciting. And uh, I think as more and more people jump into this, it'll be really fun to watch. We'll all have more firsthand experience to be talking about, hopefully positive experiences. Um, but let's talk about your organizations a little bit um, as sort of a bigger framing for this conversation. So, you know, we here at EEI have been encouraged to see more and more of our member uh, companies taking proactive roles to support electric transportation. And your three companies that you're representing here today are, are really great examples of that. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how your company is prioritizing electric transportation. So let's start back with uh, Kate again. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how Dominion Energy is thinking about this and, and why it's a priority for you all? Sure. So um, for us, we use um, the phrase that electrification is a win-win-win. Um, it's a win for us. It's a win for our customers and, and for the environment. Um, we know that our customers are interested in looking for ways to reduce costs and, and reduce their carbon footprint. So we're committed to leading them on their transportation electrification journey. Um, and, and we also want to reduce costs and reduce our impact on, on carbon. And so we, we have a pretty ambitious green fleet goal um, that we're walking on as well. Excellent. Yeah, I think as we were sort of talking about walking the talk, uh, when it comes to EVs with our own experience, I think having our companies lead by example as well is going to be a, a critical piece of this as we as we talk more with, with our customers and other stakeholders who are looking to us for leadership. Uh, so I think that's a great point. Um, Dan, what would you have to add to that from your company's perspective? Yeah, great, great points, Kate, for sure. Um, at AEP, we really developed an electric transportation mission statement, and it's in three parts. One is to increase adoption of electric vehicles and service territory and provide customer charging options that optimize the use of the grid uh, for the benefit of all customers. Uh, so those are really the, the three primary areas that we're engaging on at a very high level. Uh, but in a very fundamental uh, way, we're, we're really just fulfilling the fundamental obligations that we've always had to serve our customers' needs. Um, but we're looking to do that uh, in a manner that ensures that um, it keeps costs low for everyone. So one of the things we're doing in, is helping our EV uh, customers charge during off-peak times. Uh, that allows them to take advantage of off-peak rates and it lowers their overall energy bill even more than switching to electricity. Uh, with the off-peak rate ability. 
Um, but it also helps the utility avoid unnecessary investments, right? So uh, therein lies uh, the, the benefit for all customers since most of our residential rates uh, really recover the cost to serve um, sort of volumetrically. There's a portion of those rates that provide a contribution fixed cost. So that puts the downward pressure on rates. And uh, so I always say that it helps the utility uh, and it helps the EV driving customers. And it also helps customers that really have never even heard of EVs. Yeah, those are great points. And um, so turning to you, Matt, going last here, I think Kate and Dan uh, laid out a lot of the great reasons, I think, for, for the proactive electric company role. Uh, but anything else you would add or highlight um, from Amron's perspective? I do think we have a high degree of alignment among uh, our why, why we as energy providers are leaning in on electric transportation. And I think from Amherst's perspective, it's just a couple of things. Uh, first, uh, to give customers confidence uh, to consider and buy an EV for the next vehicle. Another thing that we focus highly on is making it easy for customers. You know, what we've learned from other products and services offerings, such as energy efficiency, we have to make it easy. And we can make it easier for customers, whether it's some of the things that's already been talked about. You know, Dan, I know you mentioned time of use rates, or whether it's the infrastructure that we're working on, but making it easy is a really important theme we have found for our customers. It's a theme you heard from Kate and Dan both. Uh, we say it differently about costs, but it helps, electrification help, helps keep costs stable and predictable. You know, Kate framed it in the win-win-win, and, you know, I heard Dan say downward pressure, but that's really important because I think sometimes customers ask, why should I care about EVs or why should I care about electrification? I'm not interested in an electric car. I don't need charging infrastructure. And the point is that, you know, the more electric cars on our grid, uh, the more billing units across the same fixed costs really does help keep costs stable and predictable. And last but not least, I would just add, you know, it's really consistent with the larger vision of both us as Amron. And I think, I think, you know, through, through us as utilities led through EEI, Kellen, which is part of this clean energy transformation and a really drive to net carbon zero. We as utility providers have embraced that and we're helping the transportation sector with our, with our part of the team with infrastructure and this transformation to EVs. That, that was really well said, Matt. So thank you for that. Um, and actually, let's stick with you for just a moment. I wanted to get into a few more of the specifics about what some of your companies are actually doing. What are one or two areas that you are excited about, either a program you have planned or going today uh, to, to do exactly what you're talking about, kind of help customers either make it easy or, or get access to the technology? I would share two things we're doing today around uh, electric vehicles. Uh, and the first is on infrastructure and the second is on policy. So let me let me just hit on both. In the infrastructure, I think there's maybe two lanes. W one of this is uh, the idea of a foundational network across first Amherst, Missouri service territory in Missouri, and then more broadly across the Midwest. So if you're familiar with Amherst, Missouri, it's St. Louis based. That's where the major population is. But we actually, you know, we, we serve the boot hill. So we go to Arkansas, we go north to the Iowa border. And from the arch uh, in St. Louis at the river, we actually spread almost all the way to Kansas City. So really that foundational network is infrastructure, charging infrastructure every 50 miles or so across the major highways, uh, first in our service territory. And we completed that build out uh, last year in 2020. And then we took it a step further, working with uh, other utilities adjacent to, to ours 
to to form what's called the Midwest Electric Vehicle uh, Collaboration. So 10 utilities across 10 states working in good faith to build out uh, this foundational charging network. The second lane of charging, if you will, is just a, what we call the around town charging program. So we have regulatory approval to work with businesses and multifamily dwellings to install charging infrastructure. What the data says is, you know, 80% of our customers will charge at home. They have a garage, a carport, or they can park adjacent to their home and charge. But that leaves a pretty big population, 20%, that really need charging at their workplace or charging at their multifamily dwelling. So we have regulatory approval to offer some incentives uh, with the goal of 1,500 additional charge ports in our service territory. So that's the infrastructure piece. On the policy piece, we started local. Uh, we started with St. Louis City. So St. Louis City passed the first EV readiness ordinance in Missouri um, about three or four months ago. And the idea is any new building built in the city or any major retrofit will be EV ready. So whether that's conduit in a parking lot or whether that's a, a home that's just wired for the, their next electric car. And that's really been a model for other municipalities uh, in the St. Louis region and beyond to think about how do they make ready for uh, what's going to be happening with this EV transition. Excellent, thank, thank you for that. Um, let me go to back to Dan now for you know, a couple of areas or, or programs you have that you're excited about in your area, Dan. Sure, thanks, Kellen. And uh, you know, Matt, those are, those are great examples. Um, there's certainly a lot to be um, excited about in this area for sure, but, but one of the areas that we're most excited about is working with our customers on transitioning their fleets to electricity. You know, there, there's a lot of interest from our customers and there's a lot of, uh, there's also a lot of questions uh, and we wanna be there to help them through that. Uh, our reps are really now, not just talking with our customers about their facilities and talking to the facility reps, but now we're talking to their fleet folks as well. So it's really a great opportunity to extend our dialogue with our customers and, and really help them meet their energy needs in a different manner. And, you know, and, and it's really in a way that, uh, also helps them meet their sustainability goals. So I think there's there's a lot of, uh, of opportunity there in working with our customers. Um, one of the most exciting things about the, the fleet market is that um, you can see how quickly uh, this can move to a tipping point, right? So first, these are very sophisticated customers uh, and they're focused really intently on total cost of ownership. Um, and uh, we, all, we all know right now that EVs have a, a co initial cost premium, at least for now, right? Um, but but uh, fleet vehicles travel a lot of miles right out of the gate. And so they're able to experience those benefits of lower fuel cost and lower maintenance more quickly than sort of the uh, you know, typical passenger cars. Uh, so essentially they're pulling forward those benefits uh, so when they do that cost-benefit analysis, they always do. They're really seeing the benefits much sooner, and therefore the, the cost-benefit comes out in a more positive manner. So, um, you know, our fleet customers are really excited about those opportunities, and, and we're excited that they're excited. You know, that, that's a great point, and I think it's something that really has changed over the last several years. I know many of us have been working on this issue for a while. So much of the focus early on, and I would say the modern EV era you know, really starting around 2011 or so was on passenger cars, you know, small sedans. And I think over really the last several years, as battery prices have, have come down so much more of the different vehicle segments have sort of become in, uh, within the realm of feasibility, right, for, for electric vehicles. And as Dan, you were saying, 
obviously the, the price premium needs to come down to make that upfront purchase easier. But that total cost of ownership piece, I think, is trying to become clear. And I think, as you said, more of these cost-driven customers will really look to the technology. So certainly something for all of us to keep an eye on and, and that we're all excited about. Um, but let me end back with Kate here on that question. Um, anything that you're particularly excited about that your company's working on, Kate, uh, that you'd like to highlight for us here? Sure. So I would say we're also really charged up about fleets. Um, so we recently filed a new program with our utilities commission in Virginia, um, a fleet electrification program. And one of the components of that program that I'm really excited about is um, the advisory service that, that we included so that we can actually help customers make this transition. Because um, we also think about it as a fleeting opportunity because some of these vehicles are on the road for 12, 15 years. And if we aren't helping our customers make the transition, you know, the next purchase cycle, they, they may not do it until the next one. So, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to, to really accelerating those um, conversations with our customers. Great. And let me go back to the a topic that, Matt, you mentioned around making sure drivers can make those trips uh, in an EV across your territory and really beyond thinking about your whole region. Uh, I know this is a topic that uh, all three of you have been worked on. Um, so let me go back to Kate for this one first. How, how are you thinking about that public fast charging need for, for longer distance travel? Um, is there anything in particular that uh, you all are working on today that, that you wanted to highlight um, and how you're addressing kind of that need of, of the market? Yeah, so we, we know that 80 or 90% of charging is done at home, but we also know that public charging is just critical to making an electric vehicle work for, for passengers and of course for fleets. So um, we started offering some rebates for fast charging a couple years ago. And you know, we certainly wanted to offer an incentive for, for more charging infrastructure, but the, the real key to that program is us being able to get detailed charging data from those fast chargers. And that's gonna help us develop future programs so that we can be more strategic about deployment, making sure charging stations are in the places where people need them. And also, you know, similar to what Brian was talking about, through looking at the impacts to the grid and, and trying to make sure that we're um, really integrating the, the fast charging with the grid in the, in the most prudent fashion for our customers. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, so Dan, let me ask you to build on that. You know, what is the, the problem that I think our, our companies are, are trying to solve here, you know, to, to put it maybe in a um, sort of devil's advocate position, why isn't it that just DC fast charging stations are, are popping up, you know, or organically, if you will, through uh, charging or through gas stations or anyone else that wants to build them? What, what, are, what are kind of the barriers that our companies are trying to address here? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's funny you mentioned that, Kellen, because a lot of people that aren't familiar with the EV ecosystem sort of come at it from the, you know, internal combustion engine, the ICE equivalent, and they say, you know, where am I going to charge my car? Where, where, where are the chargers? Well, you know, what you find out very quickly, as we all know, is that you charge them where you park and you charge them at home, and you leave your house every day with a, a full tank essentially, and with, you know. Two 300 mile uh, vehicles being driven, uh, be being produced right now, being driven around, uh, you, you don't have a need to stop for the filling station model, right, on a daily basis. Um, however, you do need that when you go on uh, long distance trips, right? So that's really where the Electric Highway Coalition comes in. 
you know, the essential purpose of that coalition is to make sure there's at least a fundamental infrastructure of the level three DC fast chargers out there uh, to support those customers on the longer journeys. As, as you said, there are some uh, private market uh, entities out there developing and, and deploying these level three DC fast chargers. But of course, it's a chicken and the egg right now. In essence, um, you know, there's, there's not enough vehicles to, to support the, the DC fast charging market in all areas. And of course, without that DC fast charging market covering all those areas, then there's a disincentive for customers to consider EVs because they can't consider them as their, their primary vehicle, right? So as we considered sort of how to address that issue, uh, we quickly quickly realized that even as large as AEP service territory is, there's there's you know, our, our efforts weren't going to be sufficient to meet the needs of most of our travel or most of our customers that are traveling. Um, you know, I guess I use the example, there's not a lot of people that travel um, from you know, Fort Wayne, Indiana to Roanoke, Virginia, both in our service territories, right? But there's a lot of people that start, traverse, or end their journeys in those areas. So um, it's really important uh, to recognize the needs of the customers, and it quickly led us to understand that we're going to that we needed to uh, help meet, or to, in order to help meet the need, we really needed to work with um, the other uh, utilities that uh, flood our service territory. Um, and, and so that really was the beginning uh, drivers for what the Electric Vehicle Coalition has has grown to be. So. Um, you know, our members are accomplishing that uh, objective and building, uh, really supplementing um, and, and filling the gaps uh, in different manners. And it's really consistent with our policymaker and regulatory expectations of what a utility role should be in that space. Um, I, I'll tell you, being a multi-state utility, um, AEP has simply learned that you can't determine one approach and staunchly stick to that because each jurisdiction is different. So uh, it's really just important to keep your eye on the end goal, but understand you're going to have to work in different ways to accomplish those goals. So that's what our, our members are, are trying to do. I want to come back to that policy uh, question in, in, in just a moment, but Matt, just to turn back to you for, for a moment on the on sort of thinking through the long distance travel, anything you'd add to what Dan said and what you said earlier around kind of that need to, to make sure we're covering the, the major corridors, any, any other thoughts you'd want to add? Maybe just to reiterate, uh, maybe two points, Kellen. First, it is about giving customers confidence from our view, from Amber, Missouri's perspective. It's about communicating to our customers the confidence that they can look at an EV for their next vehicle and know that when they want to get from St. Louis to Kansas City for a soccer weekend or from you know St. Louis to Denver, up to Detroit, over to Indiana, Indianapolis, that that foundational network will be in place um, and communicating to that, to, to our customers that. And, and I think maybe the other point too is at the end of the day, we are infrastructure companies and we are more specifically electric infrastructure companies. Amber Missouri has been able to make, uh, I would say a business case to regulators in Missouri that the foundational network makes sense uh, and instilling that confidence and talking to our customers about confidence to consider an EV for their next car. And, and some of the things we talked about, about downward pressure or how Kate put it with that win-win-win, that to the extent we can attract more EVs and more EV charging on the network, that's good for all customers. To me, that's how the infrastructure connects back to, you know, the business case and, and what we do at the end of the day, which is, you know, provide, you know, safe, clean, and reliable energy. Great. And let me then transition to that, the policy discussion that I think uh, Matt and, and Dan, you, you both mentioned. And just for a little context there, uh, 
I did mention, you know, early on the the modern EV era, if you will, we we sort of mark as uh, December 2010 when the Chevy Volt and the Nissan Leaf hit the market, and EEI certainly was excited when we hit one million EVs uh, on the road in the U.S. and we hit that in the end of 2018. So that took about you know eight years uh, to really get to a million EVs on the road, and now we expect, although some of the reporting lags a bit that we've surpassed 2 million EVs on the road as of probably sometime this month or maybe a little bit later. So, you know, essentially looking at maybe three years to hit uh, 2 million. So certainly we're seeing things accelerate um, and certainly a lot of, you know, more automakers making announcements that this is the path they're heading down. We've seen the Biden administration set uh, aggressive goals uh, for that as well. And we're, of course, also encouraged, we've seen commissions across the country that you know, regulate our, our members, the electric companies, um, to approve programs that would allow uh, electric companies to take more proactive roles as, as we've been discussing, investing in charging infrastructure, whether that's through rebates or make ready equipment or, or whatever the case may be, doing more proactive education and outreach through advisory services like, like Kate mentioned and, and other activities. So really encouraged by that. And you know, as we look to 2030, you know, EEI a, a few years ago projected we maybe get to 18 or so million uh, EVs on the road by 2030. Of course, if these policy um, aspirations play out, it could be quite a lot more than that. But that does come back to sort of the policy question that I wanted to ask you all about. The electric vehicles on the road are not distributed evenly. Of course, they go to certain markets more than others. A lot of that is a policy question. And so each of you are operating in different policy environments. And I'm curious how you have found working with state agencies to meet the goals of your states or what other policies would you find helpful to expand EV charge infrastructure and other things you are looking to do for your customers? So let me go back to Kate for that one first to expand on that. So when we think about policy, um, you know, there's certainly, you know, federal policy, state policy, and then, you know, regulatory um, policies and procedures. And I, I would just say that it's really important for policy to look at an all of the above approach because um, if we actually are going to decarbonize the transportation sector, it's going to take a village. It'll take all of us. So it's important that policy creates opportunities for the public sector, the private sector, for utilities, for governments, for everyone to participate and, and provide options. Um, and, and if one of those segments is not able to, to create those opportunities, other segments can come in and, and fill those gaps. So you know, I, I think it's important that they um, that policy really consider all the parties that can contribute. Dan, you mentioned your company certainly works across a number of different states. Any thoughts from you on, on how you've you know, worked with your state partners well and, and what might be needed for you all to go further faster? Sure. Yeah, Kellen, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, as I said, each jurisdiction is a bit different, but you know, I say on a broad basis, utilities have really had long experience working with you know, our legislators or regulators, state agencies on energy issues, right? But, but we really don't have that experience in the transportation issues and, and really vice versa for those in the transportation sector, right? Um, but, but with electric transportation, we have these two very large infrastructure industries that are really interacting in fundamentally new ways. You know, it's interesting there's some significant policy similarities with respect to things like federal oversight on uh, interstate infrastructure, um, significant state regulatory involvement, siting issues, um, long-term planning, you know, heavy capital projects, things of that nature. So there's a lot of similarities. Um, and, and so we've really begun to establish relationships 
uh, beyond just our, um, our traditional relationships with policymakers and uh, administrators. And, and, and we're really starting that in a manner that's seeking to understand what their objectives are, uh, the transportation planners uh, and Department of Transportation officials in our states, really trying to understand sort of what their objectives are, what their challenges are, and, and where they see opportunities. And if, if we do that, then we're going to find ways to work together to accomplish sort of the shared vision of trying to electrify the transportation sector. Great. Thanks, Dan. And Matt, for you, you know, certainly a lot of ways we could discuss, of, you know, local partnerships and uh, working with state and local agencies. You had mentioned, I think, um, St. Louis with uh, an electric bus program. Do you want to expand on that at all or maybe just talk more broadly about how, how you're working with some of the state and local policy leaders? Yeah, Kellen, maybe I can, I can do both. From a big picture policy, you, you had mentioned to kind of tease this question that some states have zero emission and, 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 you know, so there's more inventory maybe going to those states. The primary reason that we thought about a Midwest electric vehicle charging collaboration was, again, to give our customers confidence beyond our service territory, beyond Amherst, Missouri's fences, so to speak. But a secondary reason was to, you know, kind of send a signal to automakers that, you know, while Missouri and I, I think all, but I don't want to say a blanket statement, many of the 10 states that are involved in the Midwest collaboration are not zero emission states that we are really leaning into EVs. Um, and, you know, we have the, the fundamental infrastructure in place, and that's important. So, you know, getting a fair share of inventory, so to speak, uh, in the Midwest and in Missouri uh, is important because our customers are looking toward that. I, I really, I really like how uh, both Kate and, and Dan framed it. You know, Kate, I remember, you know, her words. It, it's a kind of an all of the above, and I, I agree with that. I, I put it slightly different. It's not a one size fits all. Sometimes there's like template legislation that you know state uh, legislatures could think about, and I don't necessarily think that's true here. Nor do I think it has to be true. I think each state and each uh, service provider within their jurisdictions can look at their state, you know, legislature and uh, public service commissions, uh, and even their local governments, as we did with St. Louis City, and think about where the opportunities are. You know, and, and Dan, you, I think you use the words, uh, you know, work together. Uh, I had in my notes, the, you know, the word partnerships. And I, I do think uh, maybe non-traditional partnerships, be it with uh, some of the environmental groups that maybe we disagree with on some issues, but we can definitely agree with on clean electrification and EV infrastructure, whether that's automakers, which maybe maybe we never had a relationship with in the past. So I think the spirit of partnership can drive policy. And I think that's an important connection. Specific to uh, maybe your question, Kellen, on uh, Bi-State. So Bi-State is the public bus transportation system in St. Louis. Uh, they, before COVID, they transport about 60,000 people each and every day from one location to another. And working with them to implement uh, or to start to, you know, to bring in new electric technology, starting with about 20 electric buses, uh, 14 60 foot buses, and uh, the remainder being uh, 40 foot buses. And back to infrastructure, we worked with them to upgrade a substation that would serve their charging location and the surrounding businesses. We worked with them on an innovative in-route charging station uh, where they can get about 25% uh, additional capacity and about a 15 minute plug-in charge at a high capacity charger to help them at a centralized location to help them complete routes and give them confidence. We're learning a lot from that. And I think, you know, Dan earlier in the podcast mentioned fleet electrification. I do think that's a huge opportunity. And these early experiences with 
uh, which I think all of our utilities are having for Ameren, Missouri with Bi-State, what we learn from that can easily then be applied to other fleet and other customers to help that experience be even better and, and easier. Great. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, I wanted to draw on the electric bus experiences because I think that is certainly an area we're going to see uh, grow quickly, particularly if there is more federal funding uh, for uh, zero emission buses, for example, as, as we um, as we hope. So let me ask uh, just a final question for each of you, because I know we're running a little short on time. Um, I, I think a lot of our listeners will be, you know, your peers in the electric company um, who are thinking about their own electric transportation programs or thinking about electrifying their own internal fleet operations. Um, any advice you would give just, you know, a couple of things quick off the top of your head uh, for your peers in this space who are thinking about expanding or building on their programs? And I'll I'll start with Kate uh, for that one. Um, any advice for your peers, Kate, in your experience so far? Yeah, so when I started in the electric transportation role at Dominion about five years ago, um, one of the first conferences, or it was more of a work group that I went to, actually was in DC at EEI's offices. And, um, you know, I picked the brains of a lot of my new peers. And someone told me, if you have $1 in your budget to spend it on education, um, and so that, that would be my advice, but I'll go a step further and say, if you can try to do, you know, a ride and drive. Um, we've, we've been, we've learned a lot from our customers at ride and drives. We call it getting seats and seats and, and folks really, um, learn about the electric transportation experience and, um, you know, get to, get to feel the fun that an EV is and they see how easy it is to charge it. Um, so I, that, that would be my advice. Great. That's excellent. Thanks, Kate. Uh, Dan, what about you? Yeah, that's a really good point, Kate. I thought of it as well as sort of look outside yourself. There's a lot of benefit uh, to be gained from listening to folks like EEI and EPRI. And, and there's other consortiums as well at a national or even at a regional state level. They're really great sources of information. The ET industry is really starting to come together in its own little ecosystem, uh, including utilities, uh, auto industry, public sector entities, and, and others. And they're really all working to transform uh, these two industries, that is the electric sector and the transportation sector. So I think that's that's one point. The other thing I say is, you know, be prepared to walk the talk. Um, you know, if you as a utility aren't actively transitioning your own fleet, I know most are, through doing that and establishing infrastructure to support it, you're able to be more credible with policymakers, regulators, and your customers themselves. If you don't gain the experience firsthand as to what this is like, uh, to own electric vehicles, charge electric vehicles, you're not going to be in a position to advise others. So uh, look to extrapolate from your own experiences. The last thing I'll mention is that realize that we're still really in the beginning days of the electric transportation movement. Despite all the activities, um, things are going to continue to evolve uh, as they always do. Policies are going to change, business models are uh, are going to come and go and companies are going to rise and fall. And this happens in, in sometimes unexpected fashions. So I, I just think it's important to remain flexible. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, I think, I think that's great advice and a good reminder for all of us. Um, Matt, last word to you. Any thoughts of uh, parting wisdom to your peers who may be listening around uh, getting going in electric transportation and how to lead in this space? Yeah, thanks, Kellen. I think this was the hardest of the questions, by the way, uh, giving advice. Um, so I, I, I just, I frame my advice, not only to my peers, but, you know, back to me, myself, my team into Ameren. And I think I would say two things. First, think big. Think beyond our service areas. Uh, think beyond our normal partnerships and customers. Uh, so think big, 
And then, you know, maybe the second bit is uh, think partners or think partnerships. You know, I love the quote uh, that reads something like, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think partnerships in this space, untraditional partnerships, be it among collaborations of the Midwest or, or like the network that is formed, you know, the Highway Coalition that's been formed, or whether it's partnerships with uh, manufacturers or who knows. But I think those think big, think partners, uh, maybe would be the two bits that uh, we keep thinking on. And I may, I may offer others, Kellen. Well, I appreciate that. And I think that's a great way uh, to end it. So I, I thought that was an excellent, really timely conversation just in time for National Drive Electric Week, of course. So thank you to Kate, Dan, and Matt for joining today. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.